1: That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100
0: casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, right, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty LaPorte Welcome to Ben Rimalour's Broken Records on Broadway World, Broadway Podcast Network, and Broadway On Demand. I'm Ben Rimalour, and I'm here with my exquisite co host, Daniel Nolan. Uh, hey, y'all. Uh, is
0: Broadway On Demand still happening?
1: i don't know
0: <laughs> i mean it's good to say it just to be sure just to make sure but um they at the beginning of quarantine i remember they were so hot for us and we're just like posting our stuff on their uh instagram <laughs> and now it's like i haven't
1: heard a peep from them well in their defense we were doing more podcast episodes then um, that's true but like also um uh, i don't know like To be honest, like, first of Uh, all, we have a right to, like, say it because, like, at least it used to be true, even if it's not anymore. Sure. Like... I mean, I keep thinking what we should be doing is like pretending we have fake sponsorships, like Broadway World, Broadway Podcast Network, Broadway On Demand, and <laughs> Macy's.com. And Frito-Lay. <laughs> Diet Pepsi. But, um, and apparently Broadway On Demand is a big deal because like several many people, by which I mean two, have mm-hmm. reached out to me and been like, hey, what's the deal with Broadway On Demand? How did you get that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just,
0: I, I'm still not quite clear on who they even are. I'm like, was this something created at the beginning of the pandemic? You know, when everyone thought like, oh, this is the way of the future. We all are adapting. No, 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 and- no,
1: no, no, no. It's like a real thing. I'm pretty sure I subscribed to it before the pandemic.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Well, I mean, uh, Shout out to them if they're listening. I need to, I need, I followed them, of course, but I need to go and like actually look because, um, I mean, if, if they get a lot of hits, I mean, we could also plug our um live stream on there.
1: Yeah, I I I don't think they're into the live stream. I don't know why. Maybe they
0: maybe they're not fans. But um, speaking of when we uh, and plugging it, we might as well just tell the listeners. Uh, I can't imagine there's many people listening to this who haven't heard about the live stream at least, but. Um, That is now once a week, uh, just once a week, an hour long on Tuesdays, 12 p.m. noon on uh, Broadway World Facebook page, Broadway Podcast Network,
1: YouTube. It's called uh, Uh, Next Year, Some Year. Oh, yeah. Did I say Tuesday, Thursday? Um, You didn't say any (sighs) name. You didn't name it. Um, Okay. (laughs) And I actually would love to tease, if anyone is listening to it, do you you know what number episode we're going to be on for future people? Um, Uh, I don't, like. Twelve or thirteen, maybe. Well, our episode this week, which per Daniel is twelve or thirteen, um, and uh, will be available for time memorial. So if you're listening to this podcast like three years later, you could still find it because Daniel doesn't know this yet. But, oh! But uh, for one of my or one of our uh, appreciation stations this week, uh-huh. I have a very, very, very special audio clip that I just found. <sighs> Oh my God. It episode 13, by the way. It's episode 13, Lucky 13. And this audio clip is from Betty Buckley's legendary uh, first performance when she replaced Bernadette Peters in Song and Dance. And oh. Fuck yes. The legend I have heard for years was that when she sang Unexpected Song, she got to that crazy high G at the end, the Mm -hmm. high G that broke a million voices, you know, (laughs) and um, legend had it that Betty belted that note. And I have heard different bootlegs of Betty in Song and Dance over the years where she flipped flipped into head voice because it's a G. It's literally the high note that Julie Jordan sings in If I Loved You in Carousel. Right, right. <laughs> like, you don't belt a G. It is and, not like,
0: belting territory.
1: No. So, like, you know, people love to, like, throw shade at Bernadette. And, you know, I'm just constantly defending Bernadette Peters. It's all I do all day long. <laughs> you know, and they throw shade because Bernadette's like, little only we are you. But like, yeah. fuck you all. It's a fucking G. What would you have her do? But the yeah. legend was that Betty Buckley, it's like in those cartoons when they go off the edge of the cliff and they float because they don't yeah. know gravity. And then someone hands them a textbook that says like gravity. And then they up. <laughs> so it's like, you know, but I had listened to these bootlegs. I didn't know when in the run they were from, but Betty flipped like anyone else would. But I just found this clip and it said Betty's first performance. And it was just two tracks. It's just um Take That Look Off Your Face and Unexpected Song. And of course, I immediately cut right to the end of Unexpected Song.
0: Yes, and honey. Straight to the money note.
1: <laughs> honey, I am telling you, she ain't going. Oh,
0: shit. And that voice didn't go either.
1: She freaking belts it. And you know what? I knew it. it. As I was listening to her go, like... um, You knew. You knew what she was was working up to. She's like, that only we are... I could tell the the way that her voice was intonating those other syllables. She clearly had, like... She was, like, running through that airport with, like, two yes. rollerboards, one on either hand, straight behind her. She was, <laughs> she was, like, walking faster than the golf carts. She was yes. going to get on yes. that plane. She was going to get woman. into that cabin, and she was going to get to her destination, you know? yes. And
0: yes she will sell this house today oh
1: my she sold it above asking honey yes honey she made a profit <laughs> so uh we will be listening to that on this oh my god. episode that will that that just that I,
0: what is what is that our friend recently said um oh god oh god oh god i'm gonna edit this so it's not me thinking but it was really funny our friend brent said it he was like oh honey she just she oh, just yes just,
1: fuck me what did he say it was so funny
0: he was like, she just... Um, it wasn't like she replenished my electrolytes. It was like...
1: Oh, it was like that. It was like that. It was so
0: funny. Because I've been trying to incorporate it. Now I can't even fi- think of it. Um, oh, God damn it. And I said we were going to steal it. Oh, Lord. Okay, well... I'm going to think, I'm, God, I I have to let this go. I'm going to, I'm just going to be thinking of it the whole rest of the pod. Um, Okay. Well, I'm sure it'll come to me later when I'm not wanting it.
1: But you know what? I'm, (laughs) I'm glad, by the way, that's our friend, Brent Huser from Broadway, Chicago, from Broadway, Chicago.
0: Yes. Brent Pumpkins, famous pumpkin carving artist. Yes. Yes.
1: We love him. Um, But uh, I'm glad that you actually, that we couldn't think of it and that you guessed wrong with She Replenished My Electrolytes because- even though that's not as funny as what he actually said, that's uh-huh. like, that's like pretty funny. And I feel like it like opens the door to like a world of like other yeah. versions, you
0: know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Just like now, whenever I refer to my, uh, cock and balls, uh, <laughs> a phrase, which I know you enjoy. And <laughs> now I only refer to it as like, Oh, uh, you know, uh, she hit me in my, uh, my uh, Bridget Everett in the Tinder moments, or she hit me in my dainty June in the Newsboys, Diana Ross and the Supremes. And every time I try to think of a new one. So this is going to be in that same yes. uh, vein of, yes. of joke that I'm just going to like beat until it's dead. Yes. Wonderful. Well, speaking of beating till it's dead, uh, this week, <laughs> <laughs> this
1: week, we're talking about Judy holiday and bells are ringing. Now, I have to say as a disclaimer to this corn stream that we're about to to do that uh I saw Bells are Ringing on Broadway in 2000 Tina Landau's brilliant production starring Faith yes. Prince. Yes. It was a it was a big flop but uh but I really loved it and Faith Prince was absolutely fabulous as good as she'd been in Guys and Dolls I thought which is really saying something. Mm. And um I I just I absolutely loved it. Now, in fairness, I in fairness to people that say it sucked, I, I have to say that I did see the closing performance, and mm-hmm. it was the I, it, I realized then something that would come to me a lot over the years is that sometimes the energy of a closing is so special and magical. Validated that it, my
0: parking, she validated my parking.
1: Yes,
0: <laughs> I knew I would think of it in the most inopportune time. <laughs> Honey, she oh. just validated my parking. Well, okay. when I
1: when I saw Faith Prince's closing in Belsarine, she validated my parking. And um, yes. uh, I also saw it at Encores with um, Kelly O'Hara. And you know that I am not a Kelly O'Hara stan.
0: Uh-oh, I don't um, like where this is going. Uh,
1: and uh, the thing that I saw Kelly O'Hara in where I liked her the most was The King and I. Um yes. Which... I don't maybe not everybody would actually call that like a soprano role but it's certainly soprano-y. It is. It's it's close enough. You know, I um, like turn that. Yeah, I really like turn that. You know, and the thing that I hated her in was South Pacific.
0: Right, um, Mary Martin role. You
1: know, and I really had a chip on my shoulder of like, you know, uh, to do a Patty Lepone impression, not that Patty ever said this, but like why do they cast sopranos in belter roles? Right, um, right. And but, so I went to see Bells Are Ringing just, like, all pissed off because it's, in my mind, a belter role, you know? And, mm-hmm. um... But Kelly was absolutely divine in that production. Really? Yeah. She was so uh, warm so and sexy and funny and appealing. And... um I mean I
0: love Kelly. I love Kelly, but I mostly like her in I've never seen her I don't think in a in a Belter role, but the clips I've seen I was not super into.
1: You know what I realized though watching uh The Bells Are Ringing movie though is I mean, I obviously Judy Holiday is like an undeniable iconic like, legend, you know. And <laughs> And, and and I and I I love Judy Holiday's performance in this movie. That's not what brought the movie down for me. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. We'll get into it, but that's that's also very shocking to me to hear. Um but the thing about Judy Holiday though is that she's not really that much of a singer. I mean, it, you know, or an actor. Okay, well that's a separate category. But just but just even like going back to like me singing Kelly O'Hara. Yeah. And it's like The thing is like, so Judy O'Hara, Judy (laughs) O'Hara, Judy, Judy Holliday is like a comedian actress who like can sing, you know, like I would just, I would compare her singing voice to like Jackie Hoffman's or Andrea Martin's, you know, she,
0: she can sing, she can sing well enough. Well enough,
1: you know. So it's true that if you're, if you're going to be like black and white about the universe and say all musical theater roles for women are either belters or sopranos, you certainly would not call Ella and bells are ringing a soprano role. So therefore you would say it's a belter role, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not really a part that requires like a belt. So Kelly O'Hara is a better quote unquote belter than judy holiday is you know for sure yeah i mean i dare say one of my favorite sopranos who can't belt to save her life laura benanti Mm -hmm. (laughs) laura benanti could probably belt this role as well as judy holiday you know Oh, for sure, yeah. It's just not... It really... Like, the word belt is a misnomer. It's in the alto range. It's not soprano. But it just doesn't require a woman to, like, really, like, have, like, big, powerful, sustained money notes. You know, There's a
0: lot of mixing opportunities
1: as well. But, like, barely even mixing. It's, like, mixing for fun if you're bored. But, like, otherwise, you could just sing it in Chess voice and, like, it's easy. Like, it's just not a hard part to sing. Like, so... So that's why I think Kelly O'Hara was so great because it wasn't really like she had to... Like in South Pacific, she had to belt and she just didn't, you know? Right, right. but Here, she didn't have to belt. Anyway, so that's all my preface to say that I had listened to the original Broadway cast album for years. And um, I knew that I loved her singing um, like the opening number. So it's not really the opening number, but her first song, It's a Perfect Relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um No, you know what? If I'm being honest, that's not really true. I, I knew I didn't get into it. I knew that I was supposed to like her and that she was an iconic legend, but I didn't get into those songs until I saw Faith Prince do the role. Well, in the
0: musical, I was so like, I I started watching the film last night and it, I, I, I literally forgot it was a musical because it, it takes like 20 minutes for any sort of musical number to happen. So I literally was like, Oh, this reminds me of like a desk set or pillow talk, like just like an old, you know, sixties romantic comedy. And then she started singing. I was like, so thrown off. I was like, Oh, right. I forget. This is a musical. Like I was really just missing some sort of big opening number. Yes. Does the, does the actual stage show have an opening number before, Perfect relationship, or is that the first sh- uh, song in the show?
1: No, it has a song "Bells Are Ringing" that's uh, more of an opening number. It's not a great opening number. I mean, uh, but it needed something.
0: I was just so like.
1: But the thing uh, is also the st- the I don't recall the stage show feeling so musicless in the first twenty minutes. Yeah. I feel like it gets to her song a little faster. Yeah. Um, or maybe there's like I, I figured there was also
0: going to be some sort of uh or there w- was maybe some sort of number with like the the answering service cuz yeah. they kind of started it like a commercial yeah. and you, uh, yes. you kind of think like it's going to be like the telephone hour but it's not
1: right it's, so, it's I mean like there's so, so much, much, much opportunity longer. there but but the thing is though i mean the it in a way, it's a, there's a reason that I mistakenly just now called Perfect Relationship the opening number, because even in the stage show, that first song, Bells Are Ringing, while it's much more substantial than the movie, it's not that fabulous or great, yeah. but um, but the way that Perfect Relationship was filmed for this movie was complete shit. Like, you know, oh, people- always, my God.
0: Like Horrible.
1: Like the song on stage is like a fabulous establishing character number. Yes, it's and- like Miss
0: Marmalstein.
1: Yeah, but it's like, I mean, you know, and Faith Prince, of course, like, really belted that song. What yeah, I, does he look like? I mean, you know.
0: Well, afterwards, I was so I was so traumatized that I, like, tried to cleanse the palate, and I went and watched the Faith version, the clip of her doing it on, on Rosie, and I was just so like, oh, thank God. That's how it's supposed to be done. Like, she really did kill it.
1: No, no, but it's not her. It's the way they filmed it. Like... They have her, like, looking off camera in this weird direction. Like, it really makes you appreciate, like, the filmmaking, like, talent of somebody like Rob Marshall. You know, when they talk about, like, how, like, how, like, much thought he put into the concepts of, like, the way he, like, created, like, the way he, like, uh, filmed the musical Chicago, you know? hmm Yeah, I mean, there were so
0: many, there were so many awkward directing choices in this film. I mean... We'll get into it. This one, immediately, there was something off. I was like, this does not feel right. Like, it's literally, you know, you want her to move or, like, do something. And she just kind of stands up and then sits back down. And, like, the camera never moves. It never changes angles. But you don't know who
1: she's talking to. Like, it would have been... Yeah, it's so, like... She needed to sing it to like other people or, you know, figure out some way to justify her singing it in the mirror or to the camera or, you know, but it was like, she wasn't connecting with anybody and that it's not her fault, you know, but, um, but it really lays a big turd and it sets the movie at a deficit that it can really never recover. Yes.
0: A definite deficit. It's starting off. Yeah. They're really doing themselves no favors. And then the whole time they're just trying to get back from that. And it's not really possible.
1: I mean, I'm kind of gratified to know that you, like, hated it, too, because I was a little worried that, like, maybe what I disliked so much was just that it was, like, this kind of, like, 1950s-style movie that I just don't like, and maybe you do. Right? No, I mean, like –
0: and especially Vincent Minnelli, I mean, the director, he, you know, has created so many wonderful films, like American in Paris, The Bandwagon, uh, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis – um, there's so many great films uh, that are wonderful, and and he does such a good job with. And so I was had but, ho- high hopes for this one, and then it just didn't but work. You no, know,
1: it's a it's an awkward meeting of I think a few different things because it's it's like a 1950s Broadway musical comedy, which is very different from the stuff that he and I noticed. It was produced by um, Arthur Freed, and mm-hmm. I guess it's one of the last of the like old MGM musicals. Yeah, And like, but it's actually has not, it's not like an MGM musical. You know, when you talk about the bandwagon or Meet Me in St. Louis, you're talking about um, things that were conceived for the screen. Right, right. This was a stage show and they didn't reconceive it. It reminds me of the movie of the producers that also needed to be reconceived in a way you know the movie of the musical the producers yes yes you know and so it just doesn't work and um i mean even stuff like i don't
0: even, and again i haven't seen the stage show but i was also i was like this is vincent Minnelli. like do we not get any big dance numbers do we not get any cool chorus numbers like it really was just like every character was just kind of park and barking in these single like small room sets And there was no thrill to it. There was no, you know, it's a big screen technical or MGM musical with Vincent Minnelli at the helm. It's like it should
1: have had these big chorus numbers in New York on the street. But that's the thing. Like, this story is really just about a couple of people. And, mm -hmm. like... I feel like, you know, if you wanted to have like a big chorus of people dancing, the story would have needed to be like opened up in a different way. And they didn't do that. And the only larger groups of people that are in this, you know, for example, like, I mean, it was actually pretty funny when they were doing that number, when they were crossing the crowded sidewalk and everything, you know? The yeah, box but like but it was they it was blatantly not choreographed i mean it was like something i would have staged in like college when i was directing musicals and didn't have a choreographer you know yeah
0: and i mean i love that and then like the song he sings after that where it's one continuous shot of him like jostling through the crowd i i enjoy those concepts and it's a really cr- interesting idea but again it's not choreographed at all like they're literally waiting like 15 minutes at a crosswalk i'm like this but is not like, believable.
1: But there was like, it's like there was no big idea for Vincent Minnelli to connect to, to make yes, it Yes. And there was know?
0: no, yeah. And it was no, um, Bill, you know, it, it didn't have any sort of arc. It was just like this
1: t- concept that he just beat until it was dead. Well, and then, totally. And then the other thing is like, um, the characters that exist that expand the story a little bit, like, they're not, um, it, the, that whole plot of like the thing with the bookie service yeah, and like The, whole the
0: is so forgettable. And like, yeah, I, mean, I don't even know why that was in it really. It's,
1: well, it's like a sitcom episode, you know? And it's just like, it made me realize that like, you know, I think there's a certain kind of old fashioned musical comedy that was like allowed to be stupid um, mm-hmm. to have a thin flimsy plot, like a sitcom, you know? Yeah. Because like, People felt that it was worth it as an excuse to have these songs, you know? And, you know, and when it's maybe when you're watching it on stage, because there's such a thrill and an entertainment value in having these big musical numbers performed live in front of you, it's mm-hmm. on a different level of excitement. But in this movie, they don't come alive like that.
0: So not at all. Yeah, you know. I mean, it. Like I said, it's it's so reminiscent of other material from that era. I mean, I guess on stage, the closest thing it reminds me of is like "She Loves Me." Just the whole idea of like these people who don't know each other, they're communicating one way, they don't know who they are when they meet in person, blah blah blah. But it's also on you know at least on film. There's so many good. Examples of comedies, like I mentioned, Desk Set and Pillow Talk, that kind of use that musical, uh, not musical comedy, a uh, uh, sitcomy feel to kind of create these situations where the characters kind of fall in love via you know mistaken identity, or they hate each other, then they love each other, and so that's why, like, like when I said I first started watching it, that's kind of the vibe I was getting. And then she starts singing, and it like really throws you off. You're like, oh wait, this is a musical but it feels awkward. Another scene that I felt like was so poorly directed and so ill-conceived was whenever they're in his apartment and she's getting him to write and it cuts between her singing on the balcony and him singing at the desk. But it's like you have to suspend your disbelief so entirely because it's like we're already suspending our disbelief whenever a character starts singing on screen. But for the other character not to hear them at all when they're, like, 10 feet away is just so weird. And, like, I was like, there are so many ways you could do this. You could have her go in another room and start singing and then use, like, a split screen like those old Doris Day Rock Hudson films to, to you know, get them in a, in a duet. Or not just cut back and forth Rob
1: Marshall style, but like don't No no clearly it's, it's like so, no, bad. No. It's so bad. There's the, listen, there are problems that are hard to solve, okay? And like and that and I like for the Into the Woods movie, I think that the Johnny Depp, the way the wolf was characterized, like was a oh, disaster. Yeah. It was but it's like unf- so random. But <laughs> unfortunately, I don't actually know how to do it well I just know that what they did was a failure you know but I'll right. give you that it was a hard challenge but this what this stuff was not hard this was idiotic yes. that it's not idiotic and it's like it's like Vincent Manelli didn't even consider that a problem because he came from a different school of thought from those MGM musicals where the whole thing existed at this sort of heightened reality where you know the whole town could kind of get into the swell of Judy on the trolley singing the trolley Yes. Song, and it just lives in this like fairy tale land. This doesn't live there. This lived in a very realistic 1950s New York City. Like, hey, don't dump your trash in front of my house. Yeah. Mister. yeah you know? Yeah. And, you know, and it's like even Guys and Dolls, which is like about gangsters and all that. It's got this sort of like, you know, candy coated, like magical, you know, fairy tale. Uh, world of that you know
0: the the bandwagon as well I mean one of my very favorite musical numbers ever on screen is when at the beginning Fred Astaire is walking down 42nd street and he does this huge song and dance number inside the Ripley's believe it or not and it's so incredible because it's using what's already there you know in Times Square and 42nd street but it's creating this whole like fantasy land of it and then later you it does a lot of there's a lot of scenes kind of backstage preparing for a show and so it creates this real um mystical world of the theater you know and i think he does have vincent in this movie in bandwagon he captures the theater district and times square really wonderfully uh and i'm and i haven't seen the movie of guys and dolls i'm i'm embarrassed to say but i'm i'm
1: uh, sure he does it in that as well um it's different though. I mean you know, I look, Julie Stein is undoubtedly uh, you know, a huge wonderful composer with you know a, and we'll get into the songs in this too, but although you know,
0: I, I should say I, I uh he didn't direct guys and dolls. I that was a mistake I should I uh Joseph Mankiewicz directed Guys and but, Dolls,
1: but you know, but it's, but I'm just saying, there's a difference though with Guys and Dolls with the material to begin with, you know, where Ju- Julie Stein is a, uh, uh, you know, a genius composer and melodist, you know, yeah, yes, and and you know, and Comden and Green were like funny and clever and all that, you know, but there's something, and but I, there's something kind of hacky about their collaboration on this. You know, and it's unfair to compare it to Guys and Dolls where I feel like Frank Lesser truly out of inspiration, musicalized these characters, each one in an authentic way that created its own universe, you know? Yeah, well, Guys and Dolls is also, like, a masterpiece. It's a I masterpiece. Mean- and these songs are nowhere near that. And what's funny is that, you know, it, one of the things that's most remarkable about Bells Are Ringing, other than it being a star vehicle at the time for Judy Holiday, is that... Which,
0: worth mentioning, she... I, I saw that she and the com- Comden and Green we're already in some like improv troupe together or something. So they had history together, which is why I'm like, is that how she got the job? N- like, n- is that n- how all this
1: n- happened? She was a huge star before this. I think their, their improv troupe was way before this. And this was their attempt years later. The improv was dead. They hadn't done the improv in years. This is them trying to like rekindle magic that is long ago burnt out, you know? Right. That's what I mean. I'm like, there was some sort of um,
0: she, they, reasoning behind, like they had some connection with her already. They weren't just like Judy not, Holiday.
1: How she got the job? Like she had an Academy Award, you know? She was a huge star. Oh, that's another. That's another. Uh, well, nice let, 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 hold on, hold on. We'll get to Judy Holiday. Let's not. Let's not get to her yet. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. Want to wrap up and just say that, like you know, so. Uh, in terms of the material, you know we, yes, we, we've yes, already yes. talked about why the movie's a bad adaptation of it, you know and, yes. and truthfully, maybe maybe this kind of sort of flimsy musical comedy from the 50s, you know, and I don't say flimsy to say it's not Sweeney Todd or Gypsy. you know it you know one I, I'm, I would not call she loves me, which is from the 60s or Guys and dolls flimsy because I think that there is a a, um, a level of substance to the yes, way totally. that the writers went into the story and that's not true of this and 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 I've enjoyed it when I saw it live both times so I think on stage the experience is sort of fleshed out by the live performance in a different way you know but m- maybe there was no way for that to happen in this movie but Vincent Vanelli certainly failed but what I wanted to yeah. say was that it's 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 noteworthy that what's remarkable about about this piece besides that it was a star vehicle for Judy Holiday is that um Uh, So, you know, Julie Stein is this sort of tunesmith melodist, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of maybe in some ways like a genius who was able to just kind of churn out these like hit songs. and And, you know, and Comden and Green obviously have their, you know, special gift, too. But so despite the sort of uh, limited uh, value of this piece in some ways, it's noteworthy that it did have two hit songs, which seems like two big hit songs, which seems yeah. like a lot from one show. Not to mention that a lot of other songs that have sort of like had a life outside the show within a musical theater and cabaret context, you know? And mm-hmm. and I think that it's... Um, that speaks to why the songs feel so undistinguished within the show. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like this is the kind of show that somebody like Sondheim was like rebelling against. You know, yes, because, exactly. Because That's the a songs, way to put it. the songs could kind of be plugged into something else. I mean, and when that is its most successful, like a song like "The Party's Over." You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you not to be cheesy, but there are like so many times in my own life when that song feels resonant to me. It's so, it's so applicable to so many situations, you know? And so, you know, that's like, it's wonderful that this beautiful song has so many uh, resonances outside the show. But it also means that there's something about all these songs that is a little bit generic, And, Mm -hmm. and when the songs are not generic, like with like the perfect system for like the bookies to have with their stuff, it just feels so like flimsy and, 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 and useless, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. All that bookie stuff, the, the, I mean, I guess the bookie uh, song and then later the name dropping song, which yeah. I actually really enjoyed the name dropping scene. Me but too. Again, but it's, it's up my alley. It's up your me alley too. too. You know, but it relies on like a novelty, you know, yeah, and it's totally, like after totally. we hear this song once, we never want to hear it again. And we're never going to listen to this. We're, I'm I'm always going to skip that song on the cast recording You know, uh, I love the scene, but, like, you know, after, again, the novelty wears off, it's like, all right, I need something that's a little more of a meal. Totally. Um, And
1: also um, the – oh, you just made me think of something. Um, uh, Oh, that whole – I think it's also just that the story through No Fault of Its Own is that – well, through Fault of Its Own because if it was, like, a piece of classic writing, it would stand the test of time. But, you know, I think the show is just also very dated – like yeah, I mean, you know, it's,
0: and there's so many structural issues as well with just the the way it's laid out. It's so hard to follow.
1: Well, maybe the movie is harder. I don't know that. I the show didn't feel hard to follow to me, but but it just it just feels dated. Like. You know, this whole thing about like, God forbid there are ladies of ill repute and like the detectives, like, you know, judging them, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just that whole like wink wink sex comedy of the 50s. It's, you know, it's just mm-hmm. so hideous, you know. Um, anyway, but uh, okay, so we hate, we think it's a very, <laughs> um, we don't think it's much of a musical and we think it's a complete failure as an adaptation. Um, it's complete failure as an adaptation,
0: and I think this. Well, before we before we get into Judy Holiday, because I think this is a kind of a natural trans- transition. But let's. I know we we talked about maybe mentioning some of our favorite uh, covers of these of these songs. Um, you know, I, I think you, we already mentioned the Judy. I think, and that was the one I immediately knew of her cover um, of Just in Time.
1: Came just in time, you found me just in time, and changed my lonely life, that lovely day.
0: Uh, and I also know there's a, a Carol Burnett uh, does one on, on her Carol Burnett Sings album that I've listened to a lot um, and then Barbara Streisand on the third album, I believe, does a really, really beautiful slowed down version. I found you just- Love that oh, really? Wow, no. I just love it at the end. She really it just showcases her, really, you know, that young Barbara mix that she does so well at the end where she throws it up there.
1: Yeah, I mean, but it's very uh,
0: different, I'm, it's a very different um, vibe.
1: I mean, this, the, you know, I was thinking about this, these songs, like. I mean those are the two songs that were like hit hits is just in time and the party's over. Like for me, I mean the first version of just in time that I knew was Judy Garland. Um mm-hmm. and I guess like gun to my head that will still be my favorite. And um mm-hmm. I actually was like I was I you know and I I the one that I have always listened to the most that just brought me like unending pleasure is the Judy Kuhn one, um, Mm. which is the, it's the opening track on her album of that name, Just In Time. That's all Judy Kuhn music.
0: Just in time,
1: I found you. Just in time, before you came, my time was running low. And, um... Uh, she does it as a medley with this other Julie Stein song. Um, it's been a long time, but it's but it's mostly just in time, and um, it's you know, Judy Kuhn uh, doesn't always focus on like the full throttle, like old school belting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I, she certainly doesn't wake up in the morning and go, "I wonder what Ben Rimmelauer would like me to belt today." You know, but <laughs> but she really uh, on that track it is motherfucking enormous and it's so thrilling. Mm. So I really, I love it so much. Um, And, uh, but I was, I knew that the song was a hit. So I was like, I had like put on Twitter, like asking people like, what were the like, most like successful pop versions. And uh, because for Wikipedia annoyingly, like didn't like list it in a way that was useful to me. Um, so I guess like the biggest ones were like Tony Bennett and Peggy Lee and Frank Sinatra and Sarah Vaughn. Um, Mm -hmm. so I listened to those. I mean, the thing about all those people is those are such iconic artists and like all of their versions kind of sound like a Forbidden Broadway parody of them doing that song. Like, (laughs) yeah, like, I mean, uh. Like the Sinatra one, I did like I have to say I kind of enjoyed the most of it, but it all just like drove me back to like Judy Garland. And one of our Mm -hmm. listeners um, and one of our live stream uh, frequent uh, commenters, uh, Macon Prickett, um, he recommended that I specifically listen to the Judy Garland one from Judy and Liza Live at the Palladium. And um, mm. because she, like, belts it so hard at the end. And mm. um, and she really does. It's almost like she has a time machine and she, like, doesn't want me to think that um, Judy Kuhn belts it more than she does. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but but, I mean, it is a song that, you know, I mean, the Judy... I mean, the Barber one is maybe the weirdest, but the Judy Garland one is pretty weird too. I mean, by the end, it's just kind of like full throttle belting the way I like it. But yeah. she goes through so many key changes and modulate, you know, modulates up and down and weird tempo changes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's actually like the most bizarre. I mean, it's not as like freaky to the naked ear as Judy Garland's version of Come Rain or Come Shine, but <laughs> yeah. But it actually in a way is even weirder than that because it's just so like back and forth and like bizarre, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. I, 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 feel that. Um, yeah. I mean that, that one is, is a, is a, is a classic. I mean, uh, does she sing that at Carnegie hall? How, wh- or is it just from the, um, uh, TV show? Which one, which version do I know? Cause I definitely God. don't know the L- L- London Palladium one.
1: You might, though. Uh, you will, Car- she does not do it at Carnegie Hall. She does do it on the TV show, I think, more than once. Um, although... But I, I think that the one from the Palladium with Liza... I mean, this, that track is not with Liza, but, you know... Um, I think it's also the same one that was on one of the most common Judy Garland, like, CDs that you could get, like, in the uh, 90s. That,
0: maybe that's why I've heard it. Like It a, was like... Hits.
1: Yeah, like, I don't know if it was called the Capital Collection or live at the footlights or something i get all those confused but but i think that's the one that i actually heard the most in those days before i realized what it was even from it's confusing because then the video of judy and liza at the palladium is from a different is a different night than the version that's on the album mm. cuz mm. i guess it was a two night run anyway um but she also recorded it a few other times i think it's on one of her studio albums and it's on um that live album that she did on Broadway um, where she sings like, Hey, look me over and like all that stuff. Okay. Um, uh, so it's, there's a lot of um, Judy Garland versions and I think they're all that same arrangement and they're all, you know, essentially the same. It's just a matter of like, yeah. you know, where, what improvs she does for that little thing at the end with the like, you know, Hey, you came along and changed my life. You know, whatever. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Um,
0: uh, well, uh, Judy Garland, <laughs> Judy Kuhn. Okay, let's go into Judy Holiday because wait, wait, I have wait, so, wait, have so ta- much ta- to say.
1: Okay, then we'll talk about the parties over after.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Um, okay, so Judy Holiday, I, I know before, one of the reasons we wanted to do bells are ringing is because we both said we had a kind of a cultural blind spot with Judy Holiday. Yeah. And I have to say, now that I, I've seen this, I I, I realize why. <laughs> because there's for me i found nothing memorable about her in this role i found her performance to be completely one-dimensional and lacking and vapid and i just found her so unlikable so one note and not even really a note at all because i couldn't even settle on what she was trying to do um I I I I think this is such I could tell you know like this is such a star vehicle and this was obviously such a star vehicle for her I think she, uh, she won the Tony for this yeah and I was just so shocked at how uh, uninspired her performance was I just thought she was awful I mean I'm sorry I feel bad saying that because I I you know I want to support the ladies but
1: I I just really I, I did want not to enjoy say it. her. I'm really worried for you, and you know, I it was I I thought the movie was really bad, and I you know I don't think it like sold her. Um, but I'm worried for you because I feel like a lot of our listeners, especially like our older queens, are going to yes. be like extremely I like you are. Really, I know you are like in Ben Rimmelauer territory the way that way you are mouthing oh. off about Judy Holliday, and, <laughs> and they are going to come for you, and they're going to come hard, Daniel. I'm warning. They you. Really. Are- but I listen. I'm willing to die on this hill. That's how
0: strongly I feel about uh, about uh, her lack of a performance in this I mean,
1: film. I wonder if you're. I wonder if the way you're making me feel is the way I make you or other people feel. Because like I feel like I have to defend her because I feel like you're wrong. Even though I'm not like a hundred percent disagreeing with you, I just <laughs> feel like. I mean, Please, just, please defend her. I mean, this is interesting. It'd be
0: interesting to hear the other side because I really just don't see any other way to say it. I mean, I, I literally cannot. I mean, the one thing I will say is I liked I liked Dean Martin a lot in this movie and he's someone I've never been interested in, but I found him to be very charming and likable. But... I found no redeeming qualities in her performance whatsoever. There
1: were a few times I was like, "Okay, like I can kind of see how
0: she is." You need
1: need to stop saying these these blanket statements about her because every time you say it, I feel like you're incurring more hate upon yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Do not say one more time how you saw nothing redeeming whatsoever. This is like this is like really like digging a grave for you at some people. (laughs) I know, but it's. I I really just I have to speak my truth on this one. Okay, okay, your truth has been heard. Your truth has been heard. Now, like I said, it didn't work for me at all. You know, but I um, a lot of that I didn't blame on her. You know, I feel like um, you know. I I mean, it's like okay. Sorry, stop. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. I have so much more. <laughs> no, 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 but you're just saying the same thing over and over again. I mean, it's like... And, like, I didn't... You know, it. I didn't enjoy the movie at all, and the movie is mostly her. <laughs> so, you know... But here's the thing. Like, I, the way I always thought of that character, I always imagined the ideal person for a revival would be Annalie Ashford. Totally. All I was doing the whole thing was thinking of better casting. Okay, well... That was. I didn't mean that as far as an improvement on Judy Holliday. I meant, like, without having even ever seen this, you know, my concept of what I sort of mm. had been told Judy Holiday was like was that, like, was something like a... And, you know, as a matter of fact, when Annalie Ashford was first kind of, like, really making her mark, people talked a lot about how she was, like, a Judy Holiday type, you know? And mm. what struck me watching this movie was that Um, it seemed to me that actually a lot of Judy Holliday's sort of like, um, comic stuff almost felt like a sexier Dorothy Loudon. And I feel like that's not something that works in a movie per se, you know, it certainly didn't work in this movie, but like, it, you know, it, I felt like the kind of like, um, kind of like. Uh, like, joking with the audience style that I felt like, oh, I think that's what this must have been like live, you know?
0: Yeah, I could tell she was trying to do that, like, um, you know, like, elbow, elbow, wink, wink type of thing. And I was like, she's... I mean, it, it really is something that, like, Lucy did really well in I Love Lucy. She played all these kind of... You know, the scene where she goes to that really cool bar, and there's all those... uh uh showbills pasted on the walls and she talks right. with those like actor kids. Yeah. Like she yeah. was she had that like hat pulled down, she had her, you know, jeans on. She was doing she was trying to do a character. She didn't do it well, but I was like this is something that like Lucy could have killed. Like this is like a little character that Lucy did a lot on I Love Lucy. And so I get of that time period like, you know, mid to late 50s, 1960. Like, this was a style of of thing that performers did. And so I got what she was going for. Right, for but I'm sure. talking about, like,
1: even in the song Just In Time, you know, mm-hmm. like, one, you know, one of the reasons that I didn't appreciate that song, um, uh, like, in the old, when I first, like, the first time I ever heard that song, to be honest, was, uh, was Judy Holiday and Sidney Chaplin, who played uh, Dean Martin's yes. part in the original cast, speaking of Barbara Streisand. Um, yes. And uh, I didn't have the cast album. Someone had gotten me, I think my uncle, this like Broadway's greatest hits or something. And it was like one song from like every big musical of like a de- several decades, you know. It was like a four CD compilation, the Smithsonian, I think. And so the song from Bells Are Ringing was Just In Time. And it starts with him being like, just in time, I found you just in time, you know. And then she comes on and she's like, Uh and it's like some weird ass, like, what the (laughs) fuck is this like performance art, you know? Um, Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's very, like, intellectual, like, supper club comedy. And it's the kind of thing that, like, Dorothy Loudon, you know, would have, like, gotten a hundred laughs at. And I think Judy Holiday had done that more successfully in that nightclub circuit than Dorothy Loudon even did, you know. And I think that they didn't find a way to make that work in the movie. And, you know... I- I think that you probably would have felt differently, Daniel, if you'd seen her do it on stage, you know? Well, honestly, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt in that
0: I will say I'm sure she's one of those performers who is better when she has an audience to play off of, and that's, you no, know, way won, different on film. She won
1: the Oscar for Born Yesterday, which, unlike this, is considered a really, you know, brilliantly made film. Although and I also have a lot, of, a lot of... I also have a bone to pick with her for that, and I have a lot of baggage with that because...
0: Um, I really am. I, I have a lot of ire towards her for that as well
1: because she beat uh, Betty Davis, who right. should have won for All right. About Eve and Gloria and, and, and Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard, right? But I, I think just what imagine, happened, just imagine though, the fact that it was even nominated along with those movies. But yeah. I think the only reason she won, in okay, my it doesn't theory, matter. is because it doesn't matter. Betty and Ann Baxter
0: split the matter. vote.
1: It doesn't matter, Daniel. She has an Academy Award. How many Academy Award nominations does Patty or Bernadette have? Zero. It's a fucking Academy Award nomination. Forget even the politics of why you think she won. Like, so, but a lot of people thought she and a lot of people thought she deserved it. I have a feeling that if we had watched that as our corn stream instead, we wouldn't be having a conversation about you hating Judy Holiday.
0: Maybe. And this is, to be fair, this is the only thing I've seen her in that I can think of.
1: And and this is, and I'm someone that came in with like a blanket respect for her and hasn't lost that at all. I just thought this movie sucked. So- That's all all I'm trying to say. I think that this... Look, I don't think this is a great musical. I think you could make an argument for it being a good musical. I'm talking about the stage musical. And I think that this is a piece of shit adaptation. I didn't do the research to see if it made money or not in its initial release or whatever. But there's a reason that it's been... It it did not make money at all. I think it it was in debt. Okay, perfect. So there you go. So this is a flop film adaptation of a decent Broadway musical. And it is a decent Broadway musical that is dated and has aged poorly. And therefore this flop film adaptation is really useless now. And I think that it would probably, it's probably a great tragedy for us to judge Judy Holliday by this, which does not serve her, you know? Um, Well, and also wasn't this
0: her last film role? She died I think really it was. young I'm, from cancer. She died very young. So yes, um, yeah. this was, I think, her very last film role.
1: Um, so, you know, it's it's a shame that it left you with that t- bad taste in your mouth about her. But I will say, I found it, while the movie was, I thought, really, really bad, I enjoyed her in lots of the scenes. Um, like I said, I was expecting her to be like... Emily Ashford-ish, and I was surprised by how Dorothy in like ish she I did think she was funny, but I, I thought it was gonna be all about just being in love with her, and thinking she was, like, cute and quirky and mm-hmm. what I actually thought was, like, oh, she's, like, actually, like very weird in her comedy, like I kept thinking like I want to do like a weird downtown production of this with Erin Markey as her and Becca Blackwell as the guy, you know. No, um, I like that. Like I just you know I, Dorothy Loudon just kept coming to mind. I just kept being like, oh, she's much weirder than I thought. Like, um, so that's that that's what was my takeaway, and I'm very curious to see uh, Born Yesterday to see what she was all about when she was doing. Yes. I definitely. Listeners,
0: yes. Listeners who are Judy holiday Queens, please. Like I'm, I am willing to cleanse the palate, or I'm willing to be proven wrong about her. I, I just need recommendations. So I'm born yesterday. Seems like a good place to start. Um, but you know, I mean, she is such a legend and, and, uh, and so that's uh, – I was so shocked that I didn't immediately love her. You know, because you go and you want to to love her. And, and I knew I had a blind spot with her. So I was like, all right, all right. I'm going to see what it's about. And then, you know, it pains me to say it. But I just – I didn't get it.
1: All right. Well, we we'll put this to bed. I mean, we – we we are going to get back to you. The sad thing is that Daniel's probably going to watch born yesterday, fall in love with it, fall in love with Judy holiday and say that this movie was a dud. And that's why I'm probably going to watch it and be like, yep, I still hate old movies. And now I think I just don't like Judy holiday. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get back to you after we've seen that. Um, but uh, just back to the score of this, because it is uh, such, those songs are so, so significant. Um, we talked about just in time. The other song that was a huge hit was the Party's over and all the big star versions that I listened to of that, the ones that were actually hits like Peggy Lee and Nat King Cole and everything Mm -hmm. in general, I felt that they were kind of along the same lines of what I said about just in time where the stars kind of like just sounded like themselves singing that song. Um, I will say the Nat King Cole one I just thought was, like, so beautiful that I kind of couldn't get enough of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it definitely sings sounds exactly the way you would imagine the Nat King Cole version of that song to sound. Um, The version that I really just, like, love so much, I I think I've talked on the pod before about my favorite um, cabaret singer from the Bay Area, Meg McKay. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, she sings the parties over on her album Legally Blonde. Party's over It's time
0: to call it a day They burst your pretty balloon
1: And taken the moon away Um, and (laughs) it's, uh... Is that what it's called? Legally Blonde? Now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> I know. That's a bold choice though. Uh, I wait. What's the name of the album? Yeah. Legally Blonde. Well, I... well look, the album is from the nineties. It's before there was a movie or a musical called Legally Blonde. Um, I love but, it. She had a good uh, idea. Uh, well, and I think they're both, I think the original joke was made by, um, what's her name? Uh, God damn it. Uh, Mae West. um, but uh, anyway, uh, but I love Meg McKay's version, but you know, it is a beautiful song um, and everybody sings it. Um, you know, I, I, I did
0: recognize this song, but I couldn't think of maybe, maybe it's Meg who I've heard sing it on one of your playlists when you've played them, when I've been with you. But I was like, I recognize this song, but I couldn't tell you where. And even after researching it online, I was like, I don't know any of these versions. You know, I, I'm don't so even surprised.
1: Think I would think I mean, maybe I heard them of just go-tos. like playing around it's not one of my go-tos it's I mean it's the song is one of the I mean part of what I love about it it's so I don't want to say generic it's so universal that like it is very universal I and it it reminds me almost like of a Jerry Herman song in the way just in this one way that it's so like melodic and universal that you kind of feel like you know it as soon as you hear it um well, so, and it's it's different, but I also
0: conflated a lot with a song I do know and love. Uh, the masquerade is over, which
1: um, I believe Nancy Wilson had a hit with, which I do listen to a lot. So, well, another another song in the score that's actually not in the movie that I was actually confused about was uh, the song "Long Before I Knew You," which I realized that I love that song so much, and I I did one point I did a top ten Julie Stein songs for Playbill. And mm-hmm. I included it and pretty much everybody was like, what is wrong with you? That is such a nothing song. And, I re- and I've now gone back and like listened to the original cast recording of like Sydney Chaplin singing it and, and Judy Holliday singing it. And it- they were right. It is a nothing song. And the reason I love it so much is Lori Beachman's version. And like, oh yeah, see, uh, I love that. Although Judy Kuhn does it as a medley with The Party's Over, which is also incredibly beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. but, but Lori Beachman's one is like so soulful and special, and I live for it. But annoyingly, there's something fucked up with her music that you can't get it anymore.
0: Uh, what do you mean you can't get it anymore? Like, it's not, do you not have it downloaded?
1: I do, and, like, my iTunes won't play it, and it's not anywhere. It's, like, I think, like, there's – I don't understand what happened. Uh,
0: I know you're new to Spotify. Is Lori Beachman – is there a lot of her on Spotify or no? No, I would figure not.
1: No. No, I feel like iTunes and Spotify – Apple Music and Spotify are the same in terms of what they have. Mm, Like, the same, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um. So, uh, that's a big bummer. I mean, I do have like the CD maybe somewhere, so I will get it back, but, um, but Lori Beachman's music deserves to be available for the masses. Um, It sure does. I mean, she's, she's someone I think, um,
0: also, you know, uh, like we said with Judy Holliday, gone, gone too soon, but, um, she's someone who I think a lot of people have a blind spot with as well, because, Um, you know, we know her from her stage roles, but I mean, she was so young that she never really, I mean, certainly never made the jump to film, but like even playing all these kind of big leading roles that she could have played eventually, uh, she never had a chance to. Well, she
1: did make a little jump to film because Lori Beachman is, uh, sing, is one of the three girls singing black boys in the movie of hair. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Although
0: I don't even think I've seen that movie, but I love hair.
1: That would be a good corn stream, actually. Um, Actually, that would be. I've never seen it. One of the other uh, black, uh, white girls that sings black girls, sings black boys with her is um, Ellen Foley. And um, do you know who Ellen Foley is? No, I know that name. Ellen Foley. So Ellen Foley, um, she, well, speaking of pop music, she did that famous uh, song with Meatloaf, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, I think is the one. Um, <laughs> I do not know it. But she was on the 80s sitcom Night Court. Um, oh, okay. She was, like the love interest for the first couple seasons. Then she was replaced by Marky Post. Um, and Ellen Foley... Um, was the original witch in into the woods in the, at the old globe playhouse. Uh, oh, I like, I love that. Uh, and then when, when they brought it to Broadway, of course they replaced her with Bernadette. Um, but then Ellen wound up being the final witch, uh, in the Broadway run of into the woods. Um, Mm. And, uh, well, she had a few other Broadway credits, but also she, you know, that, um, haunting you musical that Patty's in that crazy ghost video. No haunting you. Yeah. yeah, You've seen this, that love cycle, a soap opera, that crazy. Oh, at the laundromat. Yes. Oh yes. yes, yes. Ellen Foley is one of the other women. Oh, well that's you buried the lead. That's her (laughs) first credit, her biggest
0: credit. Um, well, I love that. I'm going to have to check out Ellen Foley. I'm going to have to do more research on Judy Holiday. Do not come for me, queens, or do, and I'm I'm totally wanting to, you know, uh, see stuff I will actually enjoy her in.
1: I'm literally um, having anxiety about how people are going to react to the way you of Judy
0: Holiday. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. It's not like I said anything bad about Judy Garland. Um, I literally anyway just salt over my shoulder. Please, please, please. Um, all right. Well, I think, I mean, I, I have to say I do, I, I did enjoy, uh, even though I hated the film, I really love watching old musicals, especially the ones kind of in the Technicolor era because they're so luscious, a treat for the eyes and the ears. Um, I think maybe we'll do White Christmas next month. We talked about it, which is like an actual, like really, really wonderful, wonderful film adaptation. Um So, yeah, I mean, I I am kind of itching to go watch more musicals now. I know you said you hadn't seen The Bandwagon. That was one I watched recently that I really enjoyed. Um, Of course, Meet Me in St. Louis is kind of a Christmas film, so that's another one maybe I'll rewatch. Anyway, but – and who knows? Maybe we'll we'll, –
1: Speaking of Christmas movies, full circle, I just realized what I love cock and balls from. What? You know that Adam Sandler cartoon about Hanukkah, Eight Crazy oh, Nights? Oh, Eight Crazy Nights, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what it's in. They keep saying cock and balls.
0: <laughs> I know. I said that recently uh, when we were together, and you really enjoyed it. So I, I'm trying to uh, use it more. Well, it's all come full circle now, from
1: Thanksgiving to Hanukkah to Christmas. That's right.
0: All right. Well, I am thankful for you, Ben, and our podcast and our listeners and – um. Yeah, I want to be thankful for Judy Holiday one of these days.
1: We will we will keep you guys posted on Daniel's journey.
0: Yes, my Judy journey. Ah. Um all right, well thank you guys for listening. Um please tune in on Tuesday to our live stream. I'm sure we'll ta- be talking more about this and we have Ben's new uh clip that he's going to play for us which I cannot wait for. That um only we
1: are here. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. (laughs) This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A